0: Ding bidding ding ding bidding ding ding diddling ding 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 Here we are now with another episode of the Andrew Lake Podcast My name is Dosta My name is Dosta my name is dust today I'd like to talk about family constellations have you heard of this you know what a family constellation is this was a group theory a group therapy invented by Bert hellinger and I'd like to talk about This thing that he invented and my experiences or some things that you can do with it. I'd also like to talk about Alexandro Joroski. As he is the filmmaker, an, an, an amazing filmmaker. Really, more people should know about him. An extraordinary filmmaker who I adore and I have got so much out of his films from. And he used this family constellations, this Bert Hellinger psychology, for a lot of his films. They're based on, it's, it's a component of his filmmaking process. So, in a nutshell, a family constellation is like a star constellation, where you place the members of your family into a position into a constellation, and that tells you something. That image, that picture that comes out, tells you something about your family. Now, it's an individual process. It's a personal process. It's a personal therapy technique or awareness technique. So, the... Translation of what to do with that information and how to approach your family is, is a separate thing to having it for yourself. So usually what it is, what you do is you say, okay, I want to go and do family constellation therapy and you'll go to an institution or you'll go to a group where... That can be organized for you. And then you will have representatives for your family. You'll have people in the group which can stand in for your family constellation. And you will say, can you represent my father, my mother, my brother, my uncle, my in-laws, my grandparents? Whichever part of the family tree you want to work on or whatever comes out naturally. And then in that group, in that situation, in that environment, these people will then stand around the room. They will take a position somewhere and then something spooky happens. Something a little bit strange. Some people call it energetic. Some people call it a mystery, a miracle. But somehow there's a pull and a push between all these people who are representing your family members and they move into different positions and they might be standing or they might be sitting or there might be a position, a body position. They might want to lie down. And this will tell you something. There will become a point where there there will be an image and it will be like, well, where is the power? Who can see who? How close is someone to someone else? Is someone repulsed or attracted by someone else? And if you ever get to participate in one of these, it can be a very powerful experience and hellinger he could have had some amazing like it's one of those situations where you just have to say you don't want to explain it now one way of explaining is to say that the the energy or the 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 feelings of the family members are becoming into these representatives they are channeling your Ancestors, your family members, in a sense. Now when we use this word channeling, it's a bit it's a bit spooky. It's a bit uh, we don't want to be getting off into like is it real or not? Is it scientific or not? In this situation, we're not worried about any of that. We're only worried about the experience. And participating in family constellations, we could categorize as phenomenological psychology, experiential psychology. Which means we don't care what we say about it. It doesn't matter the story that comes along with it. The mind psychology is different to the experiential psychology, which is what is it actually like. So when you are in this position... When you're in this room with these representatives, how it feels, the energetic suck, the emotional content, these are the things we're concerned with. And if we get caught up into, is it scientific or is it real or how does it happen, how does it work, then it doesn't work. And Hellinger, with his brilliant mind, could have come up with all these things of how it works and why it works. But in essence, he just ended up saying, it's a mystery. So you leave it to be a mystery and we have to be okay with leaving it as a mystery. Now, I've been very fortunate to participate in many of these. And I have found them very opening. And they've opened up a sensitivity to what it's like to be in a room with someone. And to become sensitive to how I relate and how I feel around someone. So whenever you're in a room with someone or you're in close personal proximity to someone, there's a suck or there's a pull or there's an interest or there's an emotion. And participating in family constellations makes you more aware of that. Now, I know it's not entirely practical for everyone to go out and do family constellation therapy. So you can actually do this on a smaller scale by yourself at home. So there's two things you can try. One is you get a large piece of paper, preferably A3 or larger. You want a pretty big piece of paper. And then right in the middle of that piece of paper, you draw a dot and you label it with your name. You can have an arrow and says, that's Doster. Well, don't say that because that's me. You'd write your name. You'll label it with your name and I would label it with Doster. And then you'd work your way out. You'd say, well, who's the family member that you feel closest to? Who's the family member that you really connect with deeply? Who's the family member that you know the best and they know you the best? And you force yourself to put this answer to the question, to put this image of how you are with your family members onto the page. You force it to be to fit into this matrix, this, this piece of paper, and then you work your way out. Well, who's the second most person you feel close to. And you don't have to do it in this order. You can do it in the order by, well, start with your mother. Are you close to your mother or not? And then your father. So it might be that you say, well, I'm really not close with my father. I was very distant. He really didn't understand me and there was so much tension. And he would have to go way out to the edge of the the page. You really didn't understand me at all. And then when we say, well, how about your mother? Is she a little less distant? So you put her closer. And How about your brothers and sisters? How about your grandparents? You've got two grandparents, two pairs of grandparents, and one pair you're going to be closer with than the other. And you can include uncles, Nephews, nieces, cousins. But what's going to happen is this piece of paper will take shape, and there will be these dots on them, and you can label them. You label them with their names or with with their family. Like if the, you just say mum for mum, you wouldn't use her name. You call her, you call the family member what you call them, and then you'll be sitting back looking at this constellation of these dots on this piece of paper and there will be an effect within you. There will be something that you that triggers you. And you can even move it around to say, well, now, now I'm doing my mother and father in relation to me, but ha- how are they together? Now, would they be very distant but together, or would they be on opposite sides of the paper as they're not close to each other? And you sort of have to intuitively do this. You have to feel it. And the reaction that's going to come is going to open up some things and it's going to help you to visualize your family structure, your family conditioning. And this is just a broad one. This is just an opening one because then you can go on to say with specific issues like, well, you can say sex. Or you can say money. Or you can say family history. Or the war trauma. And for each of these individual things, you can draw on a piece of paper and say, well, which family member is most likely to talk about sex with me? Or which family member feels comfortable the most about money? And where do we, fa- where do we stand as a family on war? And how war has affected us. You might have to go back a few generations to get a clear picture of that. And then you can say at a specific time of life, well, let's do a family constellation. And say, what were we like at a specific time of my life? When I was a child, where would these names and these dots on this piece of paper be? When I was a little child, where would they be standing in relation to me? And then you can do it again as a teenager. And that difference, there will be a difference, the difference between the picture you paint, the dots you draw on your piece of paper as a child, and as when you are a teenager or a young adult, that will tell you something about the nature of your family. That will create insights in you. And it's a personal thing. It's up to you. But at least that's something to help break open this thing of family conditioning, your family relationships. Now, self-talk therapy is another way to go about it. But this is different to that. I mean, it's one thing to say, talk about each of your family members or write in your journal about family members. That does something. There is something in that as well. But this is a different approach. So drawing on the pieces of paper is one way to do this. And then another way to do it is to have objects represent your family const- your family members. So if you have stuffed toys like your teddy bear, then you need quite a few. You need a collection of teddy bears. Then you can use them, and you say you are representing so and so, my father, mother, brother, sister, and you place them in the room. And the good thing about this is then you can step into the energy field. And it can be very simple. It can be, say, if if you don't have teddies, you can have you can use a pillow or something. You can say this pillow represents my mother it's less effective but it's still you can still use the the those objects any object will do really if you're sincere with the intention and you really uh you put in when when you talk to the pillow if you actually go up to the pillow and say will you represent to be my father for this family constellation and then you hold it and you look at it and you say this is my father then that will trigger it, that will open it up. And then to make it simple, you can do something like have your mother on one side of the room and your father on the other and then you stand in the middle and see what it's like to turn, just to turn and face one of them and then to turn and face another. Now, if you're doing this with real people, it's very powerful. But if you're doing it at home by yourself, it still has an effect. And then you can see how does it feel to move towards one? How does it feel to move away from another? And then we can introduce dialogue to it as well to make add another complex, which is what would you say to your mother? Or sometimes in these family constellations, the therapist will say, they'll feed you dialogue and then ask you how you feel to say that. How does it feel to say that? And it might be that it doesn't feel right to say certain things. They might say, I don't want to say that. And even that in itself is enough to trigger something and to cause an insight. So pieces of paper, drawing dots on it, and having objects in the room are two things you can do to... Test this out at home. I think it is quite an expensive therapy. From what I've heard, there's... Well, the pricing, I guess, depends on where you go and who's providing the therapy. But it's such a powerful technique and it involves so much when doing with real people, actual people, that it can get a bit pricey. So... Try it by yourself first. And actually, the first time, if we can turn our attention, our conversation to Yodorovsky, then it was the first time I saw this was in an interview with Yodorovsky. So, he was doing, he was in this room, and there were about 50 people or so, and they were all sitting around watching to see... They wanted to hear this man talk. They wanted to hear his promotion and hear his philosophy of movie making for one of his for his latest film. And what he did was he picked the cameraman out of the audience. So the interview was being filmed, and the first person he picked on was the man behind the film. And he said, Come up here and stand on this stage. And with this man he did a family constellation. So he was standing right in the middle with this cameraman, asking him questions and saying, well, who, who's your father? Is there someone in this audience that looks like your father? And how do you feel about your father? Where, where would he stand close to you? Or where do you feel comfortable to put your father? And each time they went through, the, the audience members became more and more involved, and they were all standing in different positions around this room. And each time they added, each time he added a family member, it felt like there was a new level of understanding coming with this cameraman. And it wasn't an insight from the cameraman. It wasn't like the cameraman was standing there saying, Oh, now I realize this. No, it was in me. I was seeing something in the cameraman. I was seeing how his family relations were. And if you've seen any of these Yodorovsky films, they deal a lot with these family relations. And each scene has, well, he's big on symbolism as well, but he also has the different moments where he's confronted his family or he's had a pinnacle moment with his family. And another thing family constellations do is they open up the dynamic of your intimate relationships. So if you understand that your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, your significant other partnership, the relationships that you have are based on your family dynamics, then you can draw this connection between the family constellation dynamic and what you do with your intimate relationship, how you relate to your significant other. And Jodorowsky has this film called Fando and Liz. And it's about these, these lovers, this boyfriend, girlfriend, and how they relate to each other. And Liz is lame. She can't walk. So the whole time Fando is pushing her around on this this cart, this trolley, with wheels, and she's totally dependent on him. And there's a whole range of things that they go through because she's dependent on him, but also it's like he's serving her. Like she has enslaved her. She has enslaved him, sorry, rather. She has enslaved him and made him the 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 less powerful. And then, of course, he gets upset, he gets angry. And he says, without me, you'd be nowhere, you'd be stuck. And then he leaves her. He leaves her in the middle of the desert. She's stuck there and she can't move at all. She's miles from anywhere. And he just runs away. He says, I'm fed up with you. Another time, he leaves her in the mud. And then another time, he comes back and he says, oh, I'm so sorry. So this neediness, this dependency... Dependency on someone, or dependency on our significant other, or this playing the victim, playing how there's something wrong with me. That's a strong dynamic. That's a, something you want to be aware of. That's something you want to see, and you want to see where it comes from. And of course, there's also another scene where she's not lame. Maybe before something went wrong, before she had an accident or before she lost the ability to walk. And that scene is where they're dancing around this room and they're throwing paint all over each other. Like they're very, they're very open films. They're very playful, real films. So to see this, it's like, wow, they're having so much fun. And that kind of contrast between having someone depend on you and someone being free. That shows what it's like to relate to someone from those different angles. They're very different things, very different places to be coming from. And then there's also a scene where this they're, they're traveling along the road and this circus comes along and they sort of get tied up in this circus, they become a bit involved and There's a lot of chaos. There's a bit of going back and forth. And somehow Fando and Liz are separated. And the circus people dress them up in the opposite gender. So Fando, the man, gets dressed up as a woman. And Liz, the woman, gets dressed up as a man. And it's done in such a way that you couldn't really recognize them. And there's this moment where... In the crowd, they see each other and they come together and then they kiss and they start kissing. And then as they're kissing, uh, Liz starts like, what does she do? She starts rubbing Fando's breasts and then she realized they're they're fake breasts. And then, you know, Fando is... Doing something with Liz's, you know, there's a there's a moment, there's a beautiful moment where they both realize, oh, oh, you're not who you said you are. So this thing of oh attraction and oh who are you really and reversing of roles is illustrated there. So and and in that in that scene, there's a very beautiful illustration of what that's like, and it's very well done. I mean, a lot of all his films, they're they're edgy and they're dated. Like the graphics, it's not like this big shot flashy Hollywood film with all these visual effects because one time it's they're older films and in another time they're on a certain budget. So they're art films, they're philosophical films to stimulate your like what you see in people. And these little interactions, like in Fando and Liz, where they're dressed up in the opposite sex and then they come together, they're food for thought. They're illustrating something about the dynamic of our relationships. And then another big film he's got is Santa Sangre, and that's to deal with the... That's him dealing with his mother. So, what, happen, what happens in that is... It appears like his mother has something wrong with her. And he's caring for her. Like she's got some sort of disability. And she has to use his arms to eat... And so he's standing behind her putting his arms through and you can see her having a meal and she, her body and her head is there but it's his arms because he's behind her. And that's just, that's just one of the situations but there's all these different situations where he is caring for this mother and he keeps bringing these girls home. He keeps bringing these people home to have sex with or to be intimate with or to, to love and then she ends up somehow killing them, and he ends up somehow killing them. It always goes wrong in, in, in multiple twisted and tricky ways. It never works out. And how many relationships are like that, where you go to meet the in-laws, and the mother has something to say about their little boy? Why are you taking your little boy from me? That's a family dynamic that is very powerful. This is something to be aware of. Oh, I hate the in-laws. They, your mother doesn't like me. How many times is that said in a relationship? And of course, how does the mother deal with their child being taken by another woman? How does the mother deal with having to give up their child. So this movie, Santa Sangre, it's a, it's a head trip. It's a really, there's so many twists and turns in it because not only is it that the mother is standing over the shoulders of the son and orchestrating or interfering with these intimate relationships, but it's also that he is allowing her to And I don't want to give away the ending, but in that movie, in the last five minutes, there's this... When I saw it, my, my whole... Everything just burst open for me. There's this moment at the end where there's just these twists and these turns and you don't realize what's happening and you realize what is the mother and what has he been doing and is the mother really alive? Is the mother really there? And all these questions, all these... Things of what is the relationship between the mother and the son and how that affects their intimate relationships. They're all just cascading and bursting and boiling together into this seething climax of a plot in this film, Santa Sangre. So I highly recommend that film. And, and you really have to be sensitive. You have to be aware of these things because there's symbolism in them. And there's there's a lot of symbolism in El Topo, which I think was his first movie. Maybe Holy Mountain was his first movie. And El Topo has these scenes where, on the surface, you would think, well, that's just abstract. That's just weird. Like, why would you dress frogs in military gear and then put them all into this model playground and then blow them up? Or... Why, would you, why do you have these outlandishly crazy costumes and these people walking in these strange ways? But that's symbolism. It's not the surface level. It's like, what's the comment about our situation in life that he's trying to make? And in the Holy Mountain, there's this whole thing of alchemy as well, and he symbolically represents the... The, the journey, the spiritual journey to enlightenment, that that's basically what this Holy Mountain movie is about. And it's quite amazing because, you know, there's this man and he, and this, there's this sequence where this man jumps on this hoop. And this hoop is attached by a rope and the rope pulls him up this building. And you think, is that CGI? Well, no, he actually did do that. He was a stuntman. So, these movies were done in the days of stuntmen and that's very different to film now and how actors do their stunts in these this day and age. So he goes up this building and you you have this sense of, well, if you really watch it, it's like this tension building of he's going higher and higher and will he fall? There's more and more danger to it. And then he goes into the top of the building, climbs through this abstract place, and he meets the master. And the master is someone who he approaches to to fight him. He tries to fight him at first, if I remember correctly. And then, of course, the master, he sort of touches him just with the tip of his finger once, and then he's totally frozen and disabled, and he's defenseless. So that... Interaction, this abstract interaction in this weird place—it's almost like a psychedelic dream world where these scenes take place. And the coloring and the shaping and the the lighting is just so strange in these films. But that interaction between the master and the man who's going up this big building to find enlightenment—it's it's symbolic of the quest for a master, for a guru or for a spiritual teacher. And it's symbolic to say, it's common to say that your first initiative or your first want is to fight the master. It's to prove them wrong or to argue with them. And in a second, with just a touch of the finger, you're completely defenseless. And then, of course, he goes in with the master and there's this... Strange, weird machinery where he 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 takes a dump, he does a poo poo, he takes a shit into one of the machineries, and then he that that poo goes into a place, and then he's in this glass container, and he's sweating, and his sweat turns into another container, and it's like this chemical process. He's inside, he he is inside this giant science chemical chemical processing and it's the alchemy it's, the, it's symbolic of the alchemy process and it goes through from shit to black and then the black turns to white and then the white turns to gold and that is actually the process those colours and those things that uh, you know those elements are The symbolism of alchemy, and alchemy as in turning shit into gold, that's a symbol of itself. Like, how do I take the worst parts of me and transform them into something valuable? How do I use the parts of me that are dark to become enlightened? And the holy mountain is full of a whole bunch of those things. I don't want to say too much about the ending, but basically... This group forms on this quest for the Holy Mountain, and they walk up to this Holy Mountain where there's this round table and all these figures that are hooded sitting around this table, and they take off the hoods and there's no one there. So there's this thing there of, like, it's all a big joke as well. So the, the joke of Enlightenment ...is also there. So, another film by Jodorowsky, and this gets back to family constellations again, is Endless Poetry. If Santa Sangra is the family constellation involving the mother, then Endless Poetry is the family constellation... Involving the father. And it's quite, I don't know how to say, the, the casting of the actors in these films. Like in Endless Poetry, he actually gets his family members to play certain family members. So his son plays him. ...at certain ages, and he plays himself at certain ages, and he plays his father at certain phases or ages. So, the film of saying, will you represent my father, or will you represent me in a family constellation, then it's the same thing with, will you act in a movie... And then there is the, uh, like the dialogue, and the relation of the characters as actors, the act, and so this, and and their real relationship. So that in the process of making the film, he's actually doing a family dynamic exercise. Well, it. Exercise is not a big enough word for what he's doing. He's blurring the line between the real and the representative. And there are these key scenes that he's got in his life, like when he's a child and he's reading books and he says, Father, I want to be a poet. I want to do poetry. And his father says, well, what the fuck is wrong with you? Are you a faggot? Are you gay? So this sexuality. And then, and then of course, he goes to learn poetry and he meets this man. And this man and him become great friends. And there's this wonderful poetic connection between them. But this man is gay. And this man does want to have a sexual relationship with him. But Jodorowsky isn't. So that's one thread in the film, which is how you're... Sexuality and your intimate relationships and what you want to do, what's your calling. So for Yodorovsky, it's to be a poet. And how that's connected with your family conditionings. And specifically in this case, the relationship with the father. How the father didn't understand him. How the father wasn't encouraging And how the father unknowingly, most probably unknowingly, put on this negative idea of homosexuality. And it would really be up to Jodorowsky to know how he feels. And the beautiful moments in the the movie are when he does know how he feels. And when he does say, I need to do this, I've found out. There's this scene where he's... He gets a job as a clown in a circus, and his job is to be the comedian. And he goes out onto the stage, and everyone's laughing at him. or All these certain things are happening. And that performance, in the middle of the performance, he breaks out and he says, No, I am not a clown. And he takes off his costume, and he says, I am a poet. This is the real me. I am not a clown. And the drama of dropping a role and showing a different self, in this case his true self, his deeper self, that is a pinnacle moment in anyone's life. I am not representing something. I am not representing the clown. And it's funny that you see that in a film where there's an actor, and even. And that's part of the head trip of the Alexander Yororosky films and who he's cast them as, because you realize it, it's it's a role but is it really you realize that these are real people in his life and there's all sorts of stories about how he related to his family members when he was making the films and they're not all pretty they're not all it's not all rose colored and it's uh yeah, I don't I don't really know what to say about that. It's you can hear about that for yourself. So yeah, the the alchemy, the the symbolism these family relations in the Alexander Yaroslavsky films there's a lot of insight there. There's a lot of stimulation to ...to be done with family relations. And it really is a good technique to have family constellations... ...to be aware of family constellations. Because this thing of family conditioning... ...or background conditioning... ...that's such a large term... There's so much that that can involve. There's so much that that might mean. To say, answer the question, how has your family influenced your upbringing? Or how is your composition as an adult? How is the the you constructed in relation to your family background? Or what was the family relations that, Formed you and made you who you are. That's so big. There's so much to chew at once. That's hard to just say in a few words. That's hard to delve into head on. So family constellations are a good way at entering into that realm and really building it up. And it goes deep because your family goes all the way back. Your family goes right the way back to when you were born. And it's behavioral, it's emotional, and it's a dialogue. What were some of the words that your mother used as a child? What were the phrases that your father used around you? Just think of a couple of phrases of what your parents would use. Anything that stuck to memory. Anything that comes to mind. And what were some of the reactions that you had? What was the the reaction you had when you were punished? When your parents punished you for something... What did you think? How did you feel? And that reaction is unique to you. And only you can know what that means for you. Can you think of a specific time when you were punished as a child? And what you were punished for. What did you do? And how were you punished? Were you hit or were you verbally abused? Or were you grounded? Were you said you can't go out? Were you told to stand in the corner? Did you have something taken away from you? There's a whole range of things which happen in our childhood which condition us for punishment. And you can notice that these same feelings come up in your adult life. And you can reverse engineer your inner world composition by recognizing that this feeling, well, now that you know how you were punished and how it was as a child, you say, where does that come up in life? What causes you to feel that as an adult? Because your parents are no longer here, giving you that feeling. But now, you are giving yourself that feeling. You are the one standing over you and causing that feeling to happen when a similar situation arises. When a similar thing happens. And that's just some of the ways in which we can connect family constellations with our inner world, our current composition. Which is just a fancy way of saying how we are. How are you? What are you like? So, for the last few minutes... If you can, as always, stop what you're doing and close your eyes and take a few minutes to meditate. If you don't have time to meditate or have a meditative practice, which you should every day, at least meditate now at the end of this episode. You've been listening to words and don't don't listen to so many words. Don't listen to so many talks. Just spend some time listening to silence. So here now is a chance to just do that just for a few minutes. Close your eyes. Stop what you're doing. Sit down and listen to the silence. Take some time to let yourself go and to meditate and come back to being quiet. And that's all I have to say for now.